Welcome to the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast and YouTube channel and anywhere else you are watching that video. Today is Earth Day 2022. It is the 52nd Earth Day since we started celebrating it. And I am really excited to be doing something different than what is often happening on Earth Day, which is talking about all the ways in which we can be gentler to the environment. Um, it's, of course, important and necessary, but don't we do that every day here in the Vegan Family Kitchen um, by making efforts to obviously avoid meat and dairy and eggs, but also um, try to reduce our food waste and eat with the seasons and avoid leftover uh, waste and things like that. So. I really wanted to go into a different place today, and I was so excited to have this opportunity to have a conversation with my guest, uh, Reverend Ian White Mayer, who is um, a minister as a Unitarian Universalist and also um, a leader of a spiritual community that we're going to talk about in a little bit called the Seeker Stable. Ian, so happy to see you. Thank you so much. He is, as I just said, the founder and the lead companion of the Seeker Stable, which is a contemplative spiritual discernment community. We'll talk about that a little more. He is an ordained Unitarian Universalist minister, and he has served also in churches in New York City, North Carolina, Massachusetts, and currently in Utah. He is a graduate of the Harvard Divinity School, trained with the Shalom Institute for Spiritual Formation, he has lived in a Buddhist temple for over six years and continues to help guiding people along the path of Zen meditation. He's a retreat leader, a spiritual director, and currently working on a book about the possibilities of spiritual transformation, and now a guest on the Vegan Family Kitchen podcast. You can add that to your resume. Thank you so much for being here, Ian. Um, I... We will be talking throughout, I think, about um, what does it mean to live on this earth um, in connection with all of the other beings around us. Um, but I, I want to start by centering ourselves on, on you and your life and who you are and what you do. And I like to do this by um, asking my guests um, often, what is it like to live a day in your life? Um, you can choose any day you want, but if I was to make a movie about you, a documentary film, and to follow you around, what, what would it look like? Uh, because I know you wear many hats. Um, God, you, you, you caught me right at a moment where it's like, there's so much work going on at the church. I'm like, <laughs> what is my day like? God, it's so much work. Um, so right now I work as, uh, I'm the senior minister of, uh, of, uh, First Unitarian Church of Salt Lake City. And um, we're sort of wrapping up our year. And so a lot of a lot of my days right now are getting us ready for our final, you know, um, our board and everything like that. So it's, you know, right now, it's a little bit of, <laughs> of overwork. And I, I, I only say that in the sense that, um, you know, it's really important to, to, for me anyway, to constantly be returning to places like retreat and, um, making sure that I, uh, 
but I am taking space just for reflection because I, sometimes I get so passionate about the work and this is probably similar for you and, and some of the people you're involved with. Like it's so easy to get involved with the doingness of the work that we do. Um, that I personally don't take enough time just for silent contemplative reflection. And, uh, so I was just, just this week, I was like booking my retreats because I was like, I have been working too much. And a uh, part of that is it's good work. Like, I feel like we're doing really amazing work here in Salt Lake city, but, um, sometimes I think the work can be a substitute for, uh, looking at what's happening inwardly. And, um, I, I certainly can fall into that. So, you know, what's it, what's it like a day in, in day in my life right now? <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more and in the work maybe than you'd like to, is that about right? Right now it is. And so like, but trying to find a way to sort of re sort of recenter myself again. Um, and that's fine. That's, how life is. I don't think there's anybody who is ever like always right in the center there. So you just, you find yourself a little bit off and then you return and you return and you return. So, um, so yeah, so I'm just sort of looking at my retreat schedule for the summer, which is great. I'm excited that I have a job that, that values, uh, giving me time to really go sit in silence and in meditation so that so that I can be a better leader for them and a better sort of steward of that community. Um, so, <laughs> so on a day-to-day -day basis, do you get to integrate that, uh, time for retreat and yeah. contemplation? Yeah. I, I lead how, a, how do you do that? Yeah. I lead a small, well, it's the, you know, there's this challenge, right? Where, when you become someone like a minister or something like that, typically you've taken on that role. You've taken on that vocation, uh, because you enjoy it or you enjoy being on the recipient end of it. And you just decide that that's what you want to do for your life. And what often happens is you end up, um, like I used to love going to church. And now I never go to church <laughs> because I'm, I'm working, uh, cause I'm leading church. Right. And, um, and so right now I, I lead a, a meditation group in the morning, uh, four days a week, uh, Zen meditation group. And, but it's different. It's different when you're the leader than when you're, um, just a participant. And cause even as you sort of sink into your meditation, you're still sort of watching the clock to make sure that it's still working for other people, these sorts of things. So yes, on one level, like I still have a practice. Um, but I also need to return to the spaces where I'm not the leader at all. And, um, and just to make sure that I, I can be just a person like, where somebody else is leading because otherwise it, um, yeah, it's just not the same. So I do lead a group, but it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm still the leader of it. I, I can see it as the difference between showing up for dinner and being the host. And it's no coincidence that you're 
group is called the Seekers Stable. Um, I, I think you know you, you cannot completely release yourself to enjoying a dinner party when you're the host. <laughs> and I can see it being similar. Yeah, I mean, uh, you when you eat your own food, you're kind of like, is there too much salt in this? Is there not too much salt? And like, it doesn't actually matter. The, the guests don't care at all. Um, but you are paying attention in a different way. I, um, I appreciate very much um, how, and, and this is a world that is not very familiar to me because I was raised a Catholic um, <laughs> in very French-Canadian Catholic Quebec. Um, and I learned about Buddhism far later in <laughs> in my life, I guess, as a young adult, and then discovered that there's all these different denominations <laughs> that greatly confuse me. Um, and I do have a, a great appreciation of the Unitarian Universalist um, mm -hmm. church movement. Mm -hmm. uh, but I would, I would like to know more and for you to share with um, our audience what this means to you to be a Unitarian Universalist a minister and, and member of the community. Um, but also how you got there, because clearly you've had a very uh, uh, diverse and rich um, spiritual uh, journey. Right. Yeah, that's a long um, story <laughs> that I don't, I, I don't know if it will be totally interesting to your people, but I, I was raised Unitarian Universalist. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I was raised Unitarian Universalist in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, just south of Montreal, a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, um, I sort of grew up with a very sort of spiritually expansive and, um, uh, sort of open family, um, not, not even dogmatic in the sense of like what Unitarian Universalist or Unitarian Universalism means, but sort of very curious. There was a lot of curiosity about the spiritual life in my home. My grandmother lived with us. It was just always there. And, um, I, you know, I moved to Europe after high school cause I just was not interested in, in going to college. And I used to have my parents send me a sermon on tape, uh, <laughs> sort of a little indication of my age, but like they would <laughs> those were tape. the days. <laughs> yeah. And, um, there was this minister in Boston who I just really adored and, and so they would send me her, her sermons on tape. And I don't know, not that many, I suppose, teenagers, 18 year olds, 19 year olds listening to sermons, but, um, or not Unitarian Universalist anyway. And it just always sort of stayed with me. Uh, I first said that I wanted to be a minister when I was 21. I was in my, I was in like a campus group, um, at college and we all pledged to be Unitarian Universalists and uh, Unitarian Universalist ministers. And I think I'm the only one that actually, <laughs> on it. but we were, um, I don't know, we staying up late one night, sort of smoking a little weed and reading T.S. Eliot. And we were like, yeah, that would be the life, which um, tells you a little. And it bit. is. Yeah, it is the life. It is the life. <laughs> and honestly, it is a great life to, I mean, there's, there's all different ways to be a minister, but my focus and, and drive is, you know, there's a lot of people who are really 
they don't know how to search for what their spiritual calling is or what their spiritual purpose is. And there's been a lot of abuse and trauma in our society as it relates to religion. And um, so sometimes churches end up just being very performative, uh, especially if they're uh, sort of on the liberal end or progressive end. And um, the sermons are more like lectures and talks and the music is more like um, something you might find um, in a sort of performance venue, right? Sister Act. <laughs> yeah, or or even the symphony, you know? Right. And, um, and the places that are so focused on spiritual discernment and spiritual formation, often they're very conservative, right? Because they're trying to form people around like conservative mentality and understand sort of God in a, in a, um, yeah, from a very conservative place. And so you have the, the pious, uh, <laughs> who have this very conservative social outlook. And then you've got the progressives who, who have a progress, you know, a very liberal social outlook, but not much in terms of like, how are you shaped by the sacred? And, um, so I, that's really the niche that I try to work in when I'm working with churches is what is, what's the spiritual formation? This is not like a club. It's not even a community. Like what, how are you trying to understand yourself as a living sacred being in this world? Um, and you know, what is your value inherently just as this, this alive this, this miracle of whatever this is, like it, even the word God is too small for what it is. I mean, we just sort of shorthand it, right? Um, like what is this thing that is breathing and truly it's not even your body. Like the whole thing is breathing. So how do you, what's your formation process for understanding what that is beyond your intellect? Cause you know, to have that encounter, it's, it's beyond the intellect. So it's a great life for me anyway, to, to get to talk to people about that and invite them into like taking on that journey. And you can do it in all sorts of ways. I do it with Zen meditation, but you could do centering prayer. You can do other types of meditation. You know, you can do it through music. But can you, can you tell me a little more about, um, what, the Zen perspective would be in, in that reflection about who we are and how we connect yeah. to everything that is. Maybe. Yeah. Um, well, I think we can get lost in the connection of like to everything that is, but you know, right now I'm staring at a computer screen, but really like <laughs> I'm looking at someone you know, actually, do you, do you pronounce your name Brigitte or like, yes, yeah, in, right? that's what I expect of Anglophones. <laughs> yeah. Brigitte, right. That's that's good. No, but say it for me. Uh, I, I go by Brigitte. It's okay. Brigitte. It's good. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I'm having a moment where I'm not anywhere else, right? Brigitte and Ian, like you and I are both looking into each other's eyes and here that's, that's what we're having. And is there anything else? Like we get trapped, I think, in this really big 
connected to all things, but actually there's only this intimacy. Me and you. And what else is there? There's a lot of noise, I think, in today's world, and that might be part of what distracts us, certainly, from being in the here um, with other people and with other beings, whoever they are, right? Well, but where does that noise come from? It's not like the noise is, like, created by some alien Right, like it always comes from from us. From us, right? <laughs> so, but, I mean, some of it comes from from us personally. I think in terms of the the noise in our heads um, that we can be quite good at generating. At least I am, um, but also us. I mean, us as a species uh, to a large extent. Well, because intimacy is hard, right? The two of us having an intimate moment right now is is hard for folks because not only is it you have to take time to really see the other person in front of you, but you have to be willing to be seen. And we live with these senses of, of shame or, you know, all, all, all sorts of things that we try to avoid, right? So how many times do you have a conversation and the person is just looking somewhere else or, um, you know, having a difficult time just being present not because they, they don't want to give themselves to the other person, but that sometimes it's just hard to be there themselves. What does it mean to be seen? Right. I actually love that, that early story of the garden of Eden, not because I think it's real, <laughs> but because Sorry. I, because I think it is so telling, right. Of how we actually understand ourselves. Right. We understand ourselves in some form of exile because we don't, we were seen, right. We were somehow rejected. And the truth is we never were. We're, we're, Nobody has, there's been no rejection from this planet, but we live as if we were. And that we live in that way in so many of our encounters. And so we put up all these walls that allow us to sort of slip into some space of not being seen. But in doing that, we also don't allow ourselves to see others, which, you know, not to get too far ahead, I don't want to lead you too far ahead, but I think that's the issue with sort of the vegan experience as well. I right? was just about to take you there. Can you tell me more? Well, so... You know, your the the name of your program is the Vegan Family Kitchen, right? And I think sometimes people think of sort of a vegan lifestyle as about food, right? Like this is the we're doing this because we're trying to eat healthy or you know something like that. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, for sure it does. Uh, but for me, that's not what it is. Right. For me, it's the idea of actually witnessing to the worth and dignity of the life that this is, which sometimes takes the form of this body and sometimes takes the form of another body that 
ends up on people's plates. So what does it mean to really try to witness to the worth and the dignity of like living beings? Um, and to, to be intimate enough <laughs> with yourself and, and, you know, with a, a pig. And so intimate that the pig is now inside your body. Um, <laughs> well, there's that. I mean, yeah. the, the remnants but, of the pig. But to, I mean, I, to I, see I, them. I, I find it's, um, I find that food is our most intimate communion with the world in yeah. so many ways. Um, it literally becomes us because uh, practically all of our body's cells uh, get refreshed every so many days. I can't remember, but every few months right. we're, we're brand new, <laughs> right. you know, and uh, this takes us back to Buddhism in a way about, you know, am I the same person as I was before? Um, but all of those cells are made of the cells of other, mostly other beings, um, planets and stars and rocks to some extent, but more recently other beings. Um, and when we consume animals, um, there's a dimension to this that is often not acknowledged, I think, um, and that we start thinking about more, perhaps, when we embrace veganism for more than just a diet. Um, right. I'd like, I'd like to know a little more about your trajectory from, I gather we talked about in a pre-show being a meat eater when you were growing up to a, a long time vegetarian, but a, a occasionally lapsing. And at some point you became formerly vegan. Tell, yeah. tell me about that journey and how, how perhaps it intersects with your, um, your more spiritual journey. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up in New Hampshire with a, you know, a family that ate meat. I grew up on the seacoast, so it was uh, um, a lot of seafood. And um, yeah, I loved it. <laughs> um, I loved it. And, uh, you know, our, our holiday dinners were more about like uh, lobster than they were about ham or, you know, it was very regional. And I strongly identified with being a Yankee, like through the food. Mm -hmm. Truly, you know, muscles and it, it was a, you know, that's a big part of like who, who I was when I lived, lived in Montreal, like they had the, the moulin frites, you know, and I just looked like <laughs> yeah. all day long. I was like, oh, this is like home. And, um, <laughs> and then, uh, when I, I, um, actually it was after I graduated from college, I moved into this vegan, um, co-op and I wasn't vegan then, but I, I, I moved into it, um, partly because I knew that there was a, a, a pull in my life that was kind of holding up a mirror of it, it, what I considered inauthenticity. And I think that's really how I've moved along the path spiritually. It's not based on any set of doctrine or teachings, but like, how is this leading me closer or is it pulling me away from what my inner guide towards authenticity is saying? And 
that was really my first um, intentional dive into what does it mean to live in such a way? Now, that was really just a diet thing for me at the time. I, I understood that the I'd driven across country and um, with a friend, and we stayed at his uh, cousin. I think it was his uncle, um, and they owned a pig farm. And it was actually one of the most brutal experiences, not not because they were necessarily brutal themselves, like they're not a, like a villain, but I, re I remember seeing these pigs in these sort of V-shaped sort of troughs where the legs were just sticking out and just, um, just l like ha having something hurt so heavily inside me. Um, but I, I wasn't ready, uh... I wasn't ready. And over the years, I actually was sometimes very like pro meat. <laughs> it's kind of a funny thing to say, but I, I would, I would make jokes about it. And, um, but there was always this voice, this sort of quiet inner voice that was like, really, is that what it's about? Um, I shifted to vegetarianism and was vegetarian for quite a while. And I would, uh, I would pray to become vegan and I would do it for a little while. And then I would, you know, fall off and eat pizza or something. And, and then I'd pray and I, uh, and I would, I would actually preach about it as a minister about like, where, where do I find my own line in terms of, um, I would sort of use that as an example of like, what do we, where do we find what's moral in life? And, um, you know, the things that we're doing today that we're going to find completely immoral 20 years from now. Um, and we, we sort of say this about science, right? Like we would never say we know everything there is about science, right? Very few people say that. Um, but we all, we often behave like we already understand what's moral when just literally the last 40, 50 years of United States, Canada, like we have changed so much in terms of how we understand ourselves as moral beings, just in terms of women, people of color, the LGBTQ community, the environment. So much like we have transformed as moral beings. And yet today we're like, we never really engage with the question of like, what are we finding? What will we find immoral today? You know, like 20 years from now that we totally do today. And for me, part of that was how we treat animals. And, and what does that mean for us? Like as a, as a, species just to be you know, to have this whole industry that's set up just to satisfy a, you know this desire have. and so I preach about it and it's very funny because so many of my congregants man they, they have like not a single good word about the oil industry like they'll tell you about oh how terrible they are blah blah all of which is true. I don't discount that. But as soon as you start entering 
like food into the issue or the treatment of animals, they get very defensive. And, you know, the oil industry may be the leading cause of environmental destruction, but the animal agriculture is, I think it's second, right? Like if you want to make a decision to change your life, it's totally, it's your diet right now. So you can't change the oil industry today, but you can stop eating animals, milk, cheese, eggs today. But it, it is, again, I think part of it, that's cultural, right? How we understand ourselves. This is my grand, this is the way my grandmother, right? You know, but I think there's more to it. Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I, you know, part of it is, part of it is just, I just want to do what I want to do. Yeah. I like pizza. I don't care. I, I have created a wall that doesn't allow me to understand like what, what it means for cheese to appear. Right. It, it means that a a cow was essentially raped and that her baby was stolen and that she is forever hooked up to a machine that keeps her putting out milk. And, you know, one of the things I really remember Actually, we had a freeze in in um, in New England and in uh, Eastern Canada that knocked out power in Quebec for. Like, oh yes, right. And one of the stories that came out of that were were these dairy farms that couldn't oh. they couldn't milk the cows because they didn't have any power, and a lot of the cows died because they had been so their their body engorged. Had, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they died. They are literally like kind of, you know. I don't, I don't <laughs> As know a former exactly. nursing mother, I, yeah. I totally see how that would end really badly. You know, I, I was there. I never thought about that until this moment. Yeah. Um, because, of course, they had way too many cows to milk them by hand. Right. Also, and not, not a baby cow around. Because right. They're, they're gone, right? They're gone. And so mm-hmm. you had these, like, this incredible suffering of these cows that were just dying because... We've changed them so much that, you know, you lose power and they, they die from incredible pain. As you, you alluded to the fact that sometimes you, you would preach about it. Um, yeah. That seemed to be perhaps before, before you were vegan. Um, and I'm curious to know, as a minister with your... With your flock, <laughs> yeah. um, how how do you deal with this? Um, how do you approach it with others? Um, sometimes, probably not all the time. Um, but how, what does it look like in your community? Yeah, um, yeah. My community, you know, there's no sort of religious um, sort of invitation to be vegetarian, even. A lot are, but, well, I don't know a lot. I would say maybe 20% or something. Like more, that. more than the average. I would say more than probably average, for More sure. than other religions anyway. Yeah. Maybe the seventh day Adventists or, you know, <laughs> more than <laughs> yeah. or the, right. you know, Hindu, but, um, sure. Yes. Um, but yeah, maybe more than sort of your traditional pr- Protestant 
of which we, we sort of fall into it, even though we're not, we don't believe in Jesus as God. Like we sort of are often placed in the Protestant tradition. Um, but again, I, I think I, I actually have never done an explicitly vegan, uh, Thermon. <laughs> so yeah, they all know because, uh, I don't hide it. Um, and I do talk like whenever I'm talking about it, I, I often talk about all of the animals that now live under our dominion, like, which is every animal. There actually mm-hmm. is no longer a space in the world where there are really wild animals. They like, we have made preserves, but there's no, there's no wildness left. Um, everything is completely dominated by human beings. And so, um, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean for us just as living beings? Like we, we have, you know, so I do talk about it that way. And in sort of smaller conversations, I often raise the example that I just gave, right? Which is like, wow, we'll talk about the oil industry, but we won't talk about the food industry. And it's funny to see them all sort of recoil. (laughs) (laughs) Is is there um, usually some sort of cookie potluck after your services? Uh, Yeah, there's coffee and um, yeah, coffee and donuts. Oh, you bring vegan donuts? Maybe (laughs) maybe I'll go. Charge of it, but. Um, but so, so you, you know, um, what, what do you think happens, um, inside people? What do you, what do you think is the receiving end? Because I, I, that's something that is, I think a big part of the, the challenge in spreading a more compassionate way of, of living and eating in particular, um, there seems to be, there's even, a, there was a study that was done about menu items, mm. right? And they were just, people were just rating items on a menu. And um, if it says explicitly that it's vegan, it's like definitely a right. down. And if there's soy in it, that's another down, which is absurd because soy is one of the best ways to, you know, contribute to cancer prevention, for example. But, you know, there's so many myths around all this. But I'm, I think a large part of that, issue and like negative reaction is um, perhaps a fear of moral judgment or um, just being next to somebody who says they're vegan means that somebody might feel questioned about their own moral ethics, spirituality. Do do you feel that's part of what's going on? Absolutely. I mean, the inauthenticity that I felt is not mine alone. Right. I mean, you, you, and probably a number of the people who are listening to this or watching this have had to deal with the most absurd questions ever. Right. I, you know, not that long ago, somebody was like, well, what if you were in Nigeria <laughs> and it was a, a, a farm raised, you know, and I'm like, what are you, what are you even talking about? I don't live in like, I don't live there at all. Across that bridge when I get there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, where, where is that question even coming from? Um, because you don't live there either. Like you are living here and you know where your, your food is coming from. But the inner inauthenticity is 
it is so uncomfortable, right? The discomfort of that inner authenticity. It's easier to sort of push it down or away or create something else so that you can feel like you're morally consistent. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way. Like that, that's my, been my life. Right. Um, but I think that's where it comes from is, yeah, it's hard to sit next to somebody who has made a decision to, yeah, to, I mean, there is a, on one level, a certain sacrifice, right? You can't go to the restaurant and have all the choices. You can't. Yeah. I, I see it more as a hassle now. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always like, oh gosh, I'm going to have to it's fries get into again. low level conflict, right? With someone right. and that's never pleasant. Or, you know, people will roll their eyes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's more at that level um, rather than like, I don't miss the only thing I sometimes miss, it's strange, it's a childhood thing, is a, a roasted chicken. You, yeah. you know Saint-Hubert. <laughs> Saint-Hubert was a big thing in Quebec, right? And whenever I, I smell roasted chicken, I, I think... Oh, that one, yeah. You know, a, a, a flash from the past here. Um, but, you know, sometimes I think I would, like, I'm so glad not to be eating poultry because it's one of the worst things. Um, but if I, like, there's a, a place in me deep down that associates you know, the smell of roasted chicken with something oh, the- homey or I don't know, right? I don't miss it, but the hassle is definitely a thing. Um, and that that's, I mean, that is a sacrifice. And some people are really allergic to conflict in big ways. Um, well, don't I want to put up with that. The message of, you know, Ratatouille, that did you ever see that movie, right? <laughs> yeah. The message is true, right? He won the critic over. Because he created a meal that brought that critic back to his childhood memory, which is so sweet. It is such a sweet place when, if you're in this, you know, if your family is loving and, and, but like to sit around a table with your family, there is nothing really more joyful than to be in a loving, intimate space with your family. And food does that for us. And so... I get it. Like mine is, it's not chicken. It's uh, lentils and kielbasa. My mom used to make lentils and kielbasa and I still, I'm like, wow, that was, I can, I can still taste it. It was amazing. And you know, I haven't had it. I can't, I don't know how long, but, um, there's that or my mom used to, yeah. Anyways, I don't need to go into all the meat meal, <laughs> but there is something that is so it's primal. Yeah. Right. Totally. And I think even when you're that young, like your parents are your first God, like that's the, the sense of what that all meant. It's deep inside of us beyond words, right? It's something beyond language. So I, I can understand people and right the harm that we're doing to chickens, or at least in the United States. Oh, everywhere. Yeah. But you know, we've got these factories in, in the, in the South, these Tyson factories where we, you know, we have a lot of undocumented workers who get hired by these factories and they are now all living with PTSD because they have to participate in this, this high speed killing and 
you have you now also have a, a human being that can that's lost the ability to feel because we need to have cheap chicken on our plate and you've designated you've created a situation where you've made a population of humans so insecure financially and in the world right either by making them poor or by making them like so-called illegal that you force them into doing this level of work so that you have a cheap meal. It's actually quite barbarous and right. People don't want to sit down and talk to you about why the chicken is the price that it is or where it is because there's a lot of moral inconsistency that happened to bring that chicken to your plate. So how, and we want to think about each other as good people, right? Yes. Right. We want (laughs) ourselves. Yeah. And most people are like, they're really trying to be good people. I get it. And so when you have a situation that appears and you're like, Oh shit, I'm not a good person. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's, it's, yeah, 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 yeah. You have to deal with it. And it's not, it's not fun. Um, and I love the idea about sort of vegan family kitchen in the sense of, cause you're right. When people look and they hear about vegan food, they're like, Oh, it's terrible. Like, Oh, I can't live that. Like, that's oh, like what I'm going to do, like fry a block of tofu and have a potato. And that sounds really good. actually. <laughs> I mean, probably the way you fry it, but you know, they just sort of think they're going to throw something on it, you know? And uh, my partner, uh, when we got together, she, uh, she's still not vegan, but um, she, after, when we first started dating, she was like, I had no idea that it was this, it was like this. I was like, yeah, <laughs> it's like this. It's delicious. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've been indoctrinated to think that it's not. I mean, granted, I think at some point in the 70s, vegan food didn't look quite as good as it looks today. Oh. Um, but <laughs> that's a story for another day. Oh, and I was so upset. There's a there's like a very high end hotel here. It's called Grand America. Very high end, and oh, it's like Salt Lake City high end, you know. And uh, they released this thing. Oh, we're having an all plant based menu for you know this section of our dining room. It was like so. My partner and I we went over there because we were super excited to try it out, and it was terrible. It was so bad. And we were, we were both kind of like, that's, that just feeds into the story of it's not good. And like, it was really kind of surprising to us. We were, we were disappointed, not because the food was so bad. I mean, that's disappointing, but also that people are going to try it out because they're curious about what plant-based means or whatever. And then they're, it's going to be bad, and they're like, "Oh." And if this these guys that are at the top of the, you know, culinary world of Salt Lake right. City can't get it right, right? You know, imagine the exactly. taco shop. <laughs> they can't probably make a good meal. Um, right. That's and that's very disheartening. Um, and, and meanwhile, Indian people mm. have been having all these amazing, <laughs> right, good dishes. Right. Come to my house. And that, maybe maybe that was. Um, and you did spend a fair bit of time in India, if um, I get this right. Maybe you were exposed 
to something that changed your perspective, you think? In India? Or just rubbing shoulders with Indian people? Well, I actually found it hard to be vegan in India. Oh. like ghee is in everything. True. Right? Uh, it's very easy. It's wonderful to be vegetarian there. Um, and, like, same with, like, places like Turkey. I lived in Turkey for a little bit. Like, amazing vegetarian food around the world. Um, but the vegan step is, is quite hard, uh, in India. Um, no, I think that the, the, the vegan cooking part for me anyway, is just curious being curious. I, my sister owns a nice restaurant and bakery. And I think we just like food has always just been really important. My mom's an amazing cook. Uh, and so being able to sit down and to make a meal that, um, there's something really special that happens. It's my favorite form of entertainment. Actually. I, um, I bought a place in Brooklyn when I was a minister in, in Brooklyn years ago. Um, I, I purchased an apartment, but it took me about a year to find a place. Cause I only had, uh, two requirements. One, I didn't care what size the bedroom was. I didn't care what the view was. I didn't care any of that. I needed to have a good kitchen, which is really hard in New York city. Yes. totally. And I needed to have room for a six person table, which is also really hard in New York city. <laughs> Not the coffee table. Yeah, you mean a real dining table, yeah, like a table, like everybody has these little round tables with leaves that they push against the wall. And I didn't want that. Like the one thing I wanted was to have people over for dinner because that's really what I enjoy. I enjoy the making food for other people and to have a real conversation with them to like be in someone's life. I like that more than a movie. I like it more than anything. It is a wonderful. It's the pleasure. best. It is. It yeah. is awesome. It's just spend time with human beings. They're fun. And <laughs> Um, and so it took me a year and I finally found this place and, uh, that's, to me, that's what I love. And now I cook, I have people over all the time now. And, um, cause I have a really good apartment here as well. And, um, I love making these very elaborate meals not for any other reason than um, I just enjoy what happens when you spend time with one another and you're just in somebody's presence. That is beautiful. Mm. And speaking of other people, mm. I want to ask you um, perhaps specifically from the, the spiritual perspective, because there's mm. many angles through which we can encourage people to eat more plants and fewer animals. Mm. Um, but how, how do you think we can encourage more people to include this consideration of compassion and thinking about the suffering of other beings um, in, their, in their spiritual journey? Or should we even try to encourage them and just let them figure it out for themselves. Hmm. No, we should definitely try to encourage them. Like the world is on fire. 
there's no we're in like we're in the middle of an extinction event and we need to be activists as it relates to what's happening um and the the oil industry transportation industry that's really important also this animal agriculture i mean we live i live in utah we're in the middle of a massive drought so much of the water that is being used people complain about the lawns the water going to the lawns so much of the water goes to alfalfa to for the cows yeah and i'm like um forget the lawns (laughs) (laughs) yeah keep your lawn yeah i I mean the 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 lawn is what it is I, i i also agree we shouldn't have like green lawns in the middle of a desert but way more water is going towards feeding these cows Maybe unnecessarily just, right unnecessarily completely so wasteful we're in the middle of it there definitely needs to be an activist response in terms of like trying to invite people into really thinking about what their actions are but you know years ago i um i was introduced to this sort of training model activist model where they had um like four circles and uh, each one you know going smaller within kind of like a bullseye right so the center one it was just a one, and then there was a two, then there was a three, and then there was a four. And what this trainer was pointing out is people who are in the one circle, they actually only have the capacity to speak to the people who are in the two circle. Oh, I love this. I've never they, heard this before, but this is fabulous. But they don't have they don't have the capacity to speak to people in the three circle. And they definitely, nobody can speak to the people in the four. So the one... They're the vegans. Two, they're vegetarians. Three are the omnivores. Flexitarians. And four is like Jordan Peterson and his like all meat, whatever cult. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. But <laughs> vegans try to make this attempt to speak to omnivores. Like they're going to, and I don't know if, if they try to do that because they are doing it for themselves. And and like, there's certainly a, I mean, self-righteousness runs strong in me and I'm not the only vegan that's that way. (laughs) There are some incredibly self-righteous vegans. Right. Um, and I think sometimes we try to reach out to people who have no interest in listening to us because it just makes us feel better about ourselves, which is total crap. Like we shouldn't even like that's, we really need to check ourselves on that level. Um, but our, you know, the people who are most, most open to our message are vegetarians. And the people who are most open to the vegetarian message are the omnivores. So the vegetarians should be focused on the omnivores. We should be focused on the vegetarians. And so how do we, are, 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 do people make the jump from omnivore to vegan? Sure. Like, not that many though. So what's our invitation to the vegetarian to start being responsible for their cheese and eggs, right? And they should be focused entirely on the omnivores. Now there's a, you know, the, nobody's going to reach the Jordan Peterson meat cult. Like <laughs> they're, they're on their own thing. They're far out. Yes. They're, they're too far. Like you, there's just whatever. But you're not trying to reach everybody. 
So who who is who do you have language for that that can hear what you're saying? Because there's a way that I present in the world and there's a way that the language comes out of me, but not everybody can hear it. And I can't actually, I don't have the skills to speak to everybody. You know, I, I don't have the skills to speak to a Trump Republican, but my dad does have the skills because he's much more conservative than I am. Right. Right. But he's not, um, he's not conservative like they are. But, but they have commonalities. But there is common a common language, language right? right? Where he can be like, yeah, well, that's just too far. You know, and, and they, they share enough in common that they can speak to one another. Uh, I don't know if they can or not. But <laughs> um, but they made the Trump Republicans maybe too far for him. But, but the omnivores are often too far for me. Because I've already made right. this like big shift in my life, but the vegetarians are not. So, so how do I invite the vegetarians? Right. To cross over to cross the over. sunny side. Right. Yeah. And, and do you think the spiritual argument, if we can call it that, which was clearly a strong yeah. motivator in your, your right. position... Um, do you think that's, I mean, you can't even, can, can you even make an argument or do, do people just need to sort it out for themselves? Uh, you know, um, no, I think that you can make an argument for sure. Um, I don't know how to make it yet. And that's, I've been thinking about this for quite a while because I do some courses on, you know, online and I've been like, Oh, how do I do a sort of spiritual vegan course? Like how do I talk about veganism from a spiritual angle? And I have not actually come to the place where I feel like I have the right voice for it yet. Um, partly because I think I'm just too much of a judgmental jerk. And um, I really need to work with somebody who there's I, one of the ministers, uh, two ministers actually got helped me uh, become vegan over the years. And they were, they were with me like 20 years ago. They were like, oh, have you thought about this? And it took me, it took me like 15 years of them just quietly, patiently being like, oh yeah, well, I do it for this reason. And I recently, about a year ago, had dinner with them in San Diego. And I was like, oh, I finally made it, you guys. And I'm so grateful <laughs> you never gave up on me. And, um, but they have a certain patience and presence that <laughs> I think I lack. Um, <laughs> But they, they, they really were like kind in helping me take that time. It took me 15 years, um, but they never gave up on me. And, um, I'm not quite sure. I don't, <laughs> I would like to have what they have. I think when I find that, then I'll be able to create the course. That sounds like a great plan. I love that. And mm -hmm. I think we should continue this conversation because there's, there's definitely a, a gold mine, I right. think, uh, there to be, um, dug into because the, the people are more moral than we give them credit for many times and more, um, have more concern for those greater ideals. Um, but in the day-to-day -day life, it's, 
it can be very difficult to live what we aspire to be or even to face what we aspire to be and fail to achieve. Life is hard. Like, life is just hard. And especially when we live in this sort of capitalist, post-capitalist culture that is just grinding every day. The, the accumulation of wealth in the hands of the few is not just like a social issue in that way. Like it makes life hard. And so when you're asking people who are dealing with kids and work that now you also have to figure out a whole new way of like being and you, all of your restaurants are, you know, different and everything like that. It's a lot. It's a big question. It's a, it's a, you're asking them to do a lot. They want to do it. I think you're right. People Mm -hmm. want to be moral. And so how do you invite them? Let's make a dinner. Yeah. (laughs) That's what we should do. And let's hold it at the seekers table. I'd like, I'd like, um, before we wrap up, I'd like you to tell me a little bit about what the seekers table is and yeah. who who joins you for those those um yeah that contemplative moments yeah so the seekers table is really it's based on the idea of group spiritual direction so what i was finding more and more in terms of like who who was coming to church who wasn't coming to church right there's been this huge collapse in the united states well and around the world of people who just do not associate with organized religion anymore it doesn't mean they're not spiritual. It doesn't mean they don't want to follow a spiritual path. They just don't believe the traditional narrative anymore. So they can't, they don't, they feel inauthentic joining a church because either it's not socially progressive enough or it doesn't have a spiritual component for them. Not enough. And so I wanted to create this space where they created small group spiritual discernment gatherings in their home um, and to train them how to do that. Really, you can do it already with all the skills you have right now, but people feel like they don't have enough. So I created a training to be like, yeah, now you have enough, (laughs) right? Uh, They already have enough, but, you know, going through the training, they sort of realize that they have enough. And then in their homes, they do like monthly contemplative gatherings where they enter into the idea that the spiritual life is based on a mutuality, that it's not about this individualistic culture where you have individual salvation or you have individual enlightenment, but that God, if you will, appears in this interwovenness. And so, so much of our culture is like practicing individual spirituality, the mindfulness movement, um, you know, so much of Protestant Christianity, you're going to get into heaven, but others aren't like, which is such a, I mean, it's so preposterous an idea, but like, as if God would ever make a decision like that. I mean, not that I believe that a God is there making decisions, but like, (laughs) um, like why would that you're dealing with a sociopath God, if that's the answer, right? You, you get in, you're, you're going to hell. That's such a, like a, so, that's a sociopath. It's a little so, brutal. And brutal. <laughs> right. Yes. And, but also the same with some sort of this mindfulness. It's like, 
you cultivating your like sense of um, focus. Focus really is about you becoming a better worker and like fulfilling this role as a uh, another producer in the world. I mean, not exclusively, but I think that that's the shadow side of it. And I, if I, so I came upon this place where I'm like, well, if God is a mutuality, like God, if God is an interwovenness, then we need to have spiritual practices and exercises that rehearse that interwovenness. So that's where the seeker's table came from. Like, how do you gather as a group and enter into the prayer that exists for the group rather than the person? And so you get together, is it, um, is it more like you're training the trainers in a, yeah, you have the I train the trainers. Yeah. Right. But you also have the community of those, of, of those the trainers. Uh, smaller leaders, local yeah. leaders, um, that get together to like, for example, if you were to do it, you would take the training, but that would be like the online component. And there would be other people like you online, but then at your home in, in Vancouver, you would be, mm-hmm. you would have a, a group that met in person. That is beautiful. And I think that is the one, um, I mean, going back to the dinner party and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it is different, but it is the same sort of communion, I think in so many ways. And it's the most beautiful way to. I never put that together. together. That's exactly. You're exactly <laughs> right. It's the thing that I love. Yeah. It is beautiful. Thank you so much Thank you. for being with me today and for having this candid conversation about um, where veganism and spirituality intersect and often perhaps also move apart. And on Earth Day today, I think we have to continue doing a lot of thinking about how, I mean, you are correct that humans um, dominate the entire landscape um, down to the bottom of the oceans, you know, Right. Um, and somehow we need to understand that we're not separate from what we call nature. I mean, we, we are nature. We've humanized nature to a large extent, but we are right. not different from it. And if we can move to that, that place, uh, perhaps it will take, your, take us closer to a more sustainable in the grand, in the grand meaning of this word, um, place to live. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That was awesome. And I look forward to uh, seeing you again soon in the Vegan Family Kitchen. Sounds great.